You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello everyone and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I really hope you're enjoying season five as we've had some really insightful conversations so far around many topics in regards to company culture. And I think especially right now when we need company culture to work so much for us in helping us feel connected and together and supported, I think there's so much we can learn from these conversations and hope start to implement because we all need to come together especially at a time like this. Of course workplace well-being has been at the top of the agenda since the outbreak of COVID-19. I think we can all agree it has been challenging for all of us in one way or another. Whether you've been dealing with the disconnection and isolation of lockdown or trying to juggle work and your children, it has given us all a challenging time and certainly a ride of a lifetime that we will never forget. For businesses whose teams have been dispersed, the emphasis on well-being has been increased. After all, it becomes much harder to check in on people when you can't ask them while they're making a coffee or notice that they're being a little bit more quiet than usual which is why today I'm so excited to be talking to Nick Marks, the CEO and founder of Friday Pulse, the employee engagement survey that helps businesses quite literally keep their finger on the pulse when it comes to how their team is feeling. To help organisations through the COVID-19 pandemic, Friday Pulse are offering companies and teams of 50 to 1,000 employees access to their people platform free of charge for 12 weeks. So if you do want to go and give it a try, I highly recommend you go on over to fridaypulse.com to see if it can help you tap in to your employee happiness. Today, we'll be delving into how a data-led approach can help us learn more about employee happiness and enable us to keep our finger on the pulse, even in times of uncertainty. So let's get started. Hi, Nick. Welcome to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. So tell us about yourself and the work you do at Friday Pulse. Uh, yeah. Hi, Lizzie. I'm, uh, I'm a statistician by trade. And so... I got quite interested about five, eight years ago on how companies, businesses measure employee experience, team morale, culture. And my previous work had been about how governments measure progress. And so I've sort of always been challenging the kind of dominant way that people measure stuff. And when I looked at how companies measure employee engagement or culture, I found it pretty dissatisfactory. So I thought, well, why don't I have a go at that? And so basically that's what we do at Friday Pulse uh, and we're called Friday Pulse because we're a weekly measure of employee experience. Fantastic. No, that sounds really interesting, actually, that that you started out with the measuring around sort of government. That's really interesting. And then you decided to go into the culture and employee happiness area. What what inspired that shift? Well, I... I mean, I've had a slightly sort of accidental random walk through a career. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I started off um, as a statistician doing health statistics and then quality of life. But I also 
on the side trained as a therapist. My mother was a family therapist. So I end up with this sort of slightly odd mixture between sort of hard analytical skills and soft people skills. And so in some ways it was a natural coming together and it, and it happened and it happened to happen with, uh, with government and government policy. And I was, I was working a little bit with a think tank in London and the director said to me, you know, we've got this word called well-being coming into public policy and no one knows what it means. And I went, oh, can you measure that? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so we started work there, which became ultimately really quite successful. And, and somewhat surprisingly, you know, we, I used to advise the Blair and Cameron's governments on how they measured well-being. And then I, I came to a point where I'd, I'd just done a TED talk on that. And I, and I thought, well, I've got a chance to maybe do, you know, one or two other big things in my life. You know, I was approaching late 40s and I thought, well, let's go. Let's let's try and do something with work. My dad ran a business when you know I was young and so business was always in the family although I hadn't that much worked in it and I just thought well you know I'd like to do that so so that that's what we did and maybe if I'd known how you know difficult it is to set up a business I might not (laughs) quite as optimistically but um it's really interesting yeah Oh, wow. That is such a fantastic journey, though. So, um, like you say, that you've sort of drawn on so many life experiences to kind of create this this concept of, you know, employee metrics and measuring things. And actually, I think that's a great mixture of having those those hard skills of being able to knowing how to measure and what to measure and also having the empathy and understanding of the impact of those kind of metrics and, and marrying those two together. So I think that's a really interesting and unique set of skills you have there Nick maybe I mean therapy has really influenced how I think about statistics which which might sound weird but I don't know if you've ever you know done any counseling or therapy but basically it's a weekly process and it's a bringing into awareness process you know what you do when you go to a therapist or counsellor is it you know, you 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 talk about what you're feeling and uh, and and how you're able to deal or, or cope with those feelings or not. I mean, most people go to therapy because they're overwhelmed in some way, or indeed underwhelmed in the fact maybe they're feeling nothing. But it's like you know, going there to explore and to create a richer life. And in a way, statistics is like that at a population level, and it brings into awareness about what's going on. And so, and of course the way that therapy works is it builds each week. And so when I started to come into this area, I I really wanted to create a more real time metric because most staff surveys are annual um, or even biannual, some of them. And, you know, the more avant-garde companies do maybe do a quarterly pulse. Mm. You know, if you think about, you know, where we are now with, you know, um, you know, the biggest sort of global impact we've seen on business probably ever, you know, you know, if you did a, pulse survey in you know february this year it'd be useless now and if you did an annual one last summer it's it's, you know nothing is telling you whereas we're tracking our client base every week and you know they can they can see how every team is doing every week and it means they know where to intervene and where to support and so that's that's really you know why i mean it's taken me years to get to that in that i didn't start off doing weekly i started off doing one-off surveys because you could see that's what other people did and then just got a bit dissatisfied with that and just kept iterating until where we are now. No, that's fantastic because a lot of companies do often ask, you know, how often exactly should we be measuring these employee metrics? And you really tapped into it there by saying, well, actually weekly, because some of these shifts can happen very suddenly and, and the data you had at one time is going to be completely irrelevant to the next. Yeah, I mean, the trick is to do it, to do very little, but very often. 
So mm. we literally ask people, how have you felt this week at work? And people answer from very unhappy to ha- very happy. And, and, and you're not explaining why they're feeling that with that, but you're picking up the good, bad signal is what I call it. And, and actually that is enough data to bring to the attention of leaders, whether that's a team leader or a senior leader or an HR leader or whatever, what's going on. And then, you know, we, we do do quarterly pulse surveys, a culture profile, we call it, which is, which is 15 questions um, to, to understand some of the why. But of course, the why is often very, very specific to the team. You know, it's, it's, it's because communications aren't good in the team or maybe they've got too much work or they've been let down by another team in the organization and got frustrated or, or, or why are they thriving? You know, they're thriving because their relationships are, are really good. They're working together. They're aligned. They know what they're doing and they've basically got a great team leader, you know? So, so there's, there's, you know, you, you can, you can see that straight away. And the signal is the most important thing. In my opinion, we have a, we have a phrase in statistics, which is the is, is separating out the signal from the noise. And I think that big, long staff surveys with 40, 50, 80 questions even have got so much noise in them. Mm. Uh, it's, it's very, very hard to pick out the signal. And so I, I really just try to go for the signal. And then you're doing everything else to try and support people to effectively have more good weeks than bad weeks. I mean, the reality is an employee experience ebbs and flows, it moves, it changes, and it changes pretty rapidly. Um, and um, so you're not going to have every week as a great week. That's unrealistic. But to have more good weeks than bad weeks is the aim. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's a, a fantastic signifier, like you say, of actually how you're doing and, and listening in on the team. I mean, I know a lot of businesses are really looking into this. Um, you know, some have already maybe adopted a system or some are perhaps even looking, especially right now, to as their more, more teams are remote and there's not that direct contact. I mean, the big thing is, you know, having the data is one thing, um, but taking action on it is another. So have you seen sort of organisation use their results sort of most effectively or, or do you have sort of ways that businesses are saying that this has made a big impact? I mean, yes, there's no point collecting data if you're not going to act on it. And in fact, it's counterproductive because if you ask people how they're feeling and you do nothing about it, they get annoyed pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some there's something that, well, it's nice they're asking me. There's a little bit of that. But the reality is, is, is you kind of want to know that if you are frustrated, that it's going to be picked up on. Uh, and so we work quite hard within Friday Pulse to sort of build out the platform that it supports line managers team leaders to effectively be better team leaders and so we feed the data back in 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 a sense what we built really is a tool that's a feedback loop it's it's listening to the employees and then it's it's reflecting that back in the reporting and then it's helping them act on it which is again is a therapy trick you know you listen you reflect back you 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 work with the client to help them move on and but you do this at a population level so at the team in the way it works for the team is on a monday morning the team get their own results and and we send them in a sort of powerpoint uh it's not quite a powerpoint it's like a presentation that they can click through and have a team meeting a sort of start the week team meeting and the way that we enrich that is that we yes we have the data on how happy people have they said they are but we also ask people, you know, what was the success this week? Uh, have they got anyone they want to thank so that you've got some sort of positivity resonance going on in that, you know, if I thank you, you feel good. I feel good thanking you and everyone else sees it. They know you've done a good job. So there's you're trying to build on those little positives in the team. 
And then we leave a space, yes, for frustrations or ideas about how to improve it too. And But we find that most of our clients work with the positives much more than the frustrations in that they're more interested in, in not skipping over those small wins. It's very easy to yeah. do that at work. And so it's bring attention to those. So in that way, we create a system that is trying to basically be a sort of self-organizing system where the team is sort of the engine of the culture, which is, which is what I see in the data anyway, because, you know, sometimes the CEO will say to me, oh, we've got this and this capture, uh, culture and they list off their values or actually on occasions get to value number three and then have to turn someone else and what's our fourth value? What's... <laughs> They've actually forgotten it, bless them. You know, because the value statements sit on the wall, they're not really lived, you know. But anyway, yeah. they, they, they've, they've done this work where they, they're thinking about their culture, but they're not doing it in a way that is actually really actionable. So, yes. um, so this is this is very very actionable uh, for them, and it and it and it shows them uh, and shows them their sort of lived behaviour. Um, but you know, the building on the positives and the small wins is a very critical part of what we do. Yeah, I definitely agree because there are definitely sometimes things where are going really positively in a in a company culture, and it can be really easy to think that you're doing everything wrong. Um, when in fact, you know, when you really look at it, there, there are some strong points to the to the culture, but it might just be a few areas that, you know, are a little a little weaker. Um, and it's it's nice, especially for those who are passionate about their cultures to realise that they're not doing it's not complete. It's not a complete failure. <laughs> it's working progress. And it always is. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And and there are also hot and cold spots across an organisation and that, you know, it's not. There's not one culture across the organization. The data always shows lots of microcultures and, mm. and they, you know, they are heavily influenced by the quality of um, leadership and management in those areas. But it's not the only thing it can be to do with the pressure and, the, you know, other things or, you know, too much work or underinvestment or whatever. But um, and personalities can come into it, too, you know, in, in the teams, you know, if, if you know, obviously, if someone is. A difficult personality in a team that's going to influence the people around them but just yeah. is also true if they're a total joy people want to work with them so um and and so it's about helping organizations understand that and in some ways you know netflix used to always talk about um you know avoiding employing brilliant jerks yeah. um, and 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 they're brilliant so they maybe their own kpis look great but if they're annoying everyone around them you know they're actually probably causing more damage than they are good and and, and in a way you need to understand that what are the what are the negative externalities is what economics would call it of uh you know of a of a of a difficult personality and and if they are brilliant then you know you have to decide whether you know whether you you sort of isolate them <laughs> so they don't damage us <laughs> or you know whatever you need to do but, you know yeah. there's there's you know ways of working with that yes absolutely a big question I often get asked by um, companies because I, I work with a range of SMEs. So sometimes I work with startups that have gained investment and they're quite small and growing. And and then I also work with SMEs that are maybe, you know, they've gone from a startup of like maybe 10 people to all of a sudden there's 40 and they're growing exponentially. How early on should companies be looking to adopt this, um, you know, measuring uh, employee happiness and engagement? Well, I have a team that's got 12 in it at the moment and I find it super useful uh, right now. And so, you know, like post COVID, uh, so we, we were going along. So we, 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 we create a, what we call a happiness KPI and it runs from naught to hundred and basically a score over 70 is a good score. Yeah. And, 
before COVID, we were running along at 75 uh, in the green, in the green for three months, which I think is our longest stretch of just being solely in the green. Yeah, no, 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 nothing. COVID hits and we go right down to 40, 45. Yeah. And then we start bouncing back. But we're only at 65 now or, or, or low 60s and uh, maybe even 60 at the moment. I can't remember exactly what it was last week. But and that's because I've got members of my team under pressure. Um, you know, I've got ones with young kids at home and they're you know, particularly preschool, uh, you know, quite difficult because you can't just sit them to do their homework or whatever like that, you know, even and if they are at school, you've got a, a bit of homeschooling to do. So you've got juggling a lot of stuff. So I've got three of my team with young preschool children. And then I've got two who are sort of in their flats alone in London. I mean, they're getting out a little bit now, but, you know, but that's quite oppressive. You know, if you're sort of mid thirties and your, your life is sort of your social life and you were going out a lot, you know, it's your friendships, you know, and your work is part of that. Uh, then, you know, to suddenly be just at home with, you know, cups of tea to make, um, is hard and yeah. people are flat. And, and so actually having the data, I mean, I remember, seeing it coming back and thinking, oh, great, we're bouncing back. And then it and then it dipping again. And I thought, oh, actually, we need to talk about this. And we set aside an hour the next day and really had a good talk about it. And even if we couldn't fix their problems, at least they felt, you know, they were acknowledged and heard about what's Absolutely. going on. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. I mean, from the from the well-being in particular, I mean, especially during this time, it has, it's taken a real hit. Um, like you say, you know, loneliness, we often sort of think of the word loneliness as discriminatory but to, towards the elderly but actually anybody can feel loneliness um, and especially during this time when we're so um, you know physically disconnected from those human to human relationships because we do crave off having that human contact being able to see someone's face when we're talking to them um, you know having a hug I mean I'm sure we're all looking forward to that um, I mean in particular what 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 is the data have you seen has this been I think it's probably a clear sign of the times with this well-being data, um, with the shift of COVID. But do you see it coming back up, or is do you think this is going to be something that people are going to have to work on for the rest of the year? Um, I don't know, to be honest. The only data I've seen at a national level is that the the well-being indicators that the Cameron government set up, and they they ask four or five questions on well-being, and one of them is about anxiety. They don't, unfortunately, ask about loneliness. When I was working in that field, I was part of I wasn't part of the committee but I was lobbying about what questions should be in there and I made a hard case for loneliness but I lost out to some mental health people who said we had to do anxiety and this is the first time the anxiety data has been interesting to me which is it's doubled uh, during Covid uh, and and so instead of about 20 to 25 percent of the population feeling anxious it's between 45 and 50 percent now and that's not surprising. It was coming down because they've actually started measuring that weekly now with a small sample. Um, and it was coming down towards the high 30s. So we are feeling less anxious than we were, you know, six, eight weeks ago when it first started. But um, but loneliness, I don't, I don't have good data on. And I, I mean, it might be it exists somewhere. I know that there's a guy called Danny Dawling at, at I think, Sheffield or uh, University. He, he tracks loneliness, but he tends to track it objectively, like single mm. single person households are which doesn't necessarily mean you are lonely um no. so um i i would like us because i think loneliness is the is the one that brings out our compassion i mean anxiety we feel for other people but we don't quite know what to do about it but mm. loneliness well i can you know you can sort of think well i can do something about that because i can go and talk to them you know like 
my wife here, she volunteers for something, which is where she goes and walks old people's dogs for them who can't get out at the moment. And she always goes in and has a chat to them, uh, you know, and she picks up the dog and she's very cheery natured, my wife. And and I'm, I'm sure she's a total blessing for them. Um, you know, and she gets to walk a dog, so it's a win-win. But, but, um, but you know, it. And I, so I, I, yeah. So un- unfortunately, it's not well enough measured loneliness. But um, I would think it is a massive problem. Absolutely, yeah. Especially right now with the remote workers. I mean, some people working on their own and and things like that. It must. It, there's so many different challenges that that people are facing right now. I mean, one thing I I would be loved to pick your brains on, Nick, is that with all this sort of data and insight and and seeing even you know the shifts and experience that you've had within this industry, what do you think you what do you think will be emerging in our future workplaces after? this sort of pandemic or if this pandemic ever sort of fully recovers us right we will get through it just might take a year or two um you know um and and in some ways we we i think we are we're going to have to learn to as someone put it i you know co-live with it coexist with the with the virus and i think we're we, we all know so much more about it now that people will sort of understand what risks they're prepared to take and what they aren't and you know um so um in the workplace, it's interesting, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure I'll have an office again. I think that, you know, wow. we, we, we've all moved to remote working. We had an office. Um, not all of us worked there because we, we, we had some of our developers, but our, our remote, our whole development team, apart from the CTO, is, 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 is remote. So they would only come to London once every month or two months. Um, and then some of the commercial team or the, or the customer team, um, you know, maybe would only come in one or two days a week. And I think that we will, we, I, what I think I would do is I will rent a space one day a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's got good Wi-Fi. Bring your laptops, everybody. Let's have a, let's have a, we'll have a, we'll have a work together day. And so we'll see each other socially. We will collaborate face to face, which I think is harder to do over Zoom collaboration. Um, mm. Harder to be really innovative, I think. Not, not impossible, yeah. but harder. Um, and so uh, I think we go to that model, which means that, you know, I think a, a lot of businesses will look at the cost of office space and go, well, you know, maybe we should just have teams in one day a week and, and remote working. I know that people like Google and Facebook have said don't come into work till 2021 already. Uh, and Twitter have said that, you know, maybe we'll be remote forever. But I think there will be losses in that. And and I think that the losses will be the familiarity uh, that you have with your colleagues. So at the moment, we're, we're running on the stock of goodwill in our relationships that we had before COVID. But, you know, eventually, yeah. you know, one, you'll have to recruit new people. So you'll, you know, what are you can do, never meet them? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about that. So I, I think I think we will go for a hybrid model. And I would have thought quite a lot of people might do that. Yes. Yeah, I must agree. I keep seeing everyone um, if we were saying, you know, uh, remote working is going to be the, the new thing, which I definitely agree with. I mean, there was statistics by the Office of National Statistics saying that in 2020, 50% of the UK workforce would be remote anyway. And that was before COVID. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be even more interesting to see the statistics that come out post COVID. Um, so it will. But I do agree. I think one of those things that will dramatically change is, is how we then actually embrace new people into teams when you when you're not you've not already got that existing um you know human to human culture it's, it's quite different 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hiring at the moment, so, but it, it must be quite strange hiring at the moment, yeah. It must be, and I think especially when it comes down to your culture and your values and trying to, to, to pick up on things, you know, I mean, we all have to, I don't know about anyone else, but Zoom fatigue is becoming a real thing. <laughs> um, so many yeah. Zoom calls and uh, online chats, and actually, and you know, whether it's your phone going off or your laptop or something, um, it's quite exhausting the amount of digital communication we've, we've kind of adopted, and you have to work so much harder to make sure you're you're understanding people yeah I mean it's easier to sort of just slightly glaze over on zoom isn't it and I I wonder if it's because we don't quite make eye contact because we're not looking at the cameras you know yeah. looking at the person on the screen I did hear that someone was trying to create something that that uh, that takes your your pupils and just moves them up 15 degrees <laughs> you look like you're looking at someone yeah. <laughs> which would be a nicer app to have wouldn't it because, you know, yeah. you, think you have those apps where you take a photograph and it distorts your face or ages you. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be very simple to just move the <laughs> you know. And I, I wonder whether that would help because it, it's sort of slightly, there's something sort of slightly misses with it. It sort of gives the flavour of being, yeah. and it just doesn't quite deliver. So, um, and then there's the whole boundaries issue, you know, like, I mean, at the moment, I, I work in the corner of our, our bedroom because um, we have teens in the house, and as much as, you know, I try and ask them to be quiet, they're not going to be. So, um, you know, so so whereas like when I did work at home before, you know, I, I would work at, you know, the kitchen table or in the in the sitting room, there's a, there's a space I worked in, but I can't do that anymore. So, you know, I have this weird boundary thing, you know, whereas I wake up in here, I go to the kitchen for coffee and breakfast and I come back here and it's yeah. like, you know, and, and it's fine. It's actually, it's, you know, I, I quite like it because I've got my corner and I can work, but but it's um you know it's 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 odd not going to work but then you know i save a lot of commute and all sorts of other things which is a big positive yes absolutely definitely don't miss those commutes i don't i think everyone's going to be nodding in agreement with that yeah. one <laughs> well thank you so much nick for giving us your time and your insights um today i really do appreciate it and i'm sure you've inspired many people to start measuring and taking action on some of this data that's within their organisation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.